I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. know that we love you and we care for you 
and we need you in our lives. We need you. A lot of people, when they take this test and find out that they are an eight, they think, oh my gosh, I'm that person everyone hates. I'm that person everyone's intimidated by. I'm that person that everybody, they use many very different words to describe me. <laughs> Behind my back, how, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm that person. I promise you, eights, that God made you and designed you that way and wants to use you for that purpose, especially if we can get you to be a healthy eight. <laughs> so first, let's, let's return to the scene from last week. Let's return to our seven, David, and figure out why in the world we even need a challenger. David the Seven, the enthusiast. Do we have enthusiasts in here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. We have David the Seven, the enthusiast. And this is the funny thing is um, that a lot of you probably are seven wing eights, right? And so this is going to be this interesting push and pull between your two sides. The enthusiast who is excited to dance before the Lord, David, dance naked before the Lord, unfortunately, gets a little bit too excited about a married woman. Her name is Bathsheba. Fast forward through all the hormones, all the impulsive acting on all of the hormones, and Bathsheba is now pregnant. Oops. Sevens, this kind of stuff, this kind of stuff happens to you somehow. <laughs> You're over here like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's gonna be okay, everything's good, I got this taken care of, I got this in control, I'm fine, everything's good. Yes, Evans, you're not going to be able to smile through this one or dance your way through this one. This is now a crisis that you caused, and you have involved many, many other people you are hurting. The king of Israel has impregnated a married woman, and this woman's husband is off fighting for him, for David's kingdom, out on the battlefield, and scripture is super clear about how impulsive and how reckless David is. Here's the shadow side of the seven. Remember, seven's my second highest number. Eight is my third highest number, if you want to know, so I get to, like, I'm do saying this all to myself, too. Sevens can get themselves wrapped up in some stupid, self-destructive things. <laughs> and David gets really unhealthy trying to cover up his chaos and his sin. The first thing he does is he invites Uriah, the Hittite, back from the battlefield and just straight schmoozes him. Sevens are really good at schmoozing. You don't get off the hook today, sevens. They're masters at schmoozing, the sevens. David invites Uriah back and thanks him and honors him and says, we appreciate all of your faithfulness and loyalty fighting for, king, for the kingdom of David. And you deserve, you deserve some R&R. And you deserve a little bit of intimacy with your wife. So come home, rest, enjoy. But Uriah refuses. I can't figure out what number Uriah is yet. He says, how can I go home and, and enjoy the luxuries of home when my comrades are still fighting on the battlefield? 
I, I can't with good conscience leave them. Dang it, David says. This is, this is gonna be much harder than I thought. This is going to be much harder than David thought. His, his schmoozing isn't gonna cut it in this case, all right? So sevens, your schmoozing doesn't always get you, I can't even say that word well, schmoozing, um, it doesn't get you out of everything. It doesn't get you, you cannot win with your schmoozing all the time, sevens. David invites Uriah to his home then, next. Gets him drunk, sevens, sevens. <laughs> and hopes that he will lose control and throw his integrity out the window, like sevens are wont to do, and go home and lay with his wife. And Uriah refuses. Schmoozing won't work, manipulation won't work. This would have been a great moment for David to fess up, to admit his sin, to do the right thing. But yet, no. David is playing it straight from like, like straight fire festival style. Have you all seen <laughs> these documentaries? Have you seen any of them, fire festival documentaries? Oh my God, they one hit Netflix and one hit Hulu and it's all about like this 2017, I think, um, thing that happened um, it, where this guy, Billy McFarland, who had been, he's now been indicted for multiple counts of fraud, um, sold these quarter of a million dollar tickets to this grand, this grand exclusive music festival in the Caribbean and promised supermodels and beautiful cabanas and marketed it in such a brilliant, brilliant way, but didn't execute it at all, at all. And all of these wealthy millennials are just showing up to the Caribbean. And well, we, there were lots of memes that came out joking the millennials, oh, you poor wealthy millennials. And um, there was no food, there was no music, no bathrooms, no way to efficiently get off the island when they showed up. It was like hell for them. Not real hell, y'all, because we know what, what real hell doesn't look like that. It's, <laughs> it's like the ultimate complete train wreck of a seven that just keeps saying, it'll be fine. Everything's gonna be fine. It's gonna be all okay. It's gonna all come together. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine, until it's not fine. And as you watch these documentaries, seriously, go watch them. Like, if you have not watched them, you should go watch them. You'll notice that there were hundreds of moments for Billy McFarland, like, in, within the four months, four months of execution, y'all. Like, should have told, that, that should have told him right there he wouldn't be able to do it. But there were all these moments where he could have just stopped and said, okay, this is not gonna work. Like, there's no possible way this is gonna come together. We're gonna have to cancel this and give people's money back. And people are telling him to do this. And he's like, no, it's fine. We're gonna be good. We're gonna be good. It's gonna be great. I mean, the week of, the week of, he's still saying over and over again, it's gonna be fine, y'all. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. We have no food. We have no food. It's gonna be fine. We're gonna be good. Why do people eat? Um, so like David, he just kept covering up his sin and his stupidity with another lie and another charade. David, AKA Billy McFarland, is in a conundrum. And instead of doing the right thing and fessing up, he gives Uriah a note to carry to his superior, and that note reads, take Uriah, put him on the front of the battlefield, pretty much say, go kill him, have him killed. 
David kills his loyal, faithful friend, this soldier fighting for him to ensure his sin and stupidity is not ever exposed. And David thinks he gets away with it because he's king. He's king. But God cannot be fooled. And this is when we meet our eight today, the challenger. Challenger is called by God to do what challengers are just so good at, saying what needs to be said. Nathan enters the story and begins telling David a story. Remember last week about our sevens? What's their mode of communication? Storytelling. Oh, this eight knows exactly what he's doing. He starts telling David a story. They love a good story. They're going to listen in. Hey, David, there were two men in this certain town, and one was rich and one was poor, and the man, like one man owned all of the sheep and cattle, and the other one, only one little lamb, and he loved that little lamb. He just loved him so much, little lamb. And then the rich guy doesn't even kill any of his own livestock. He kills the other guy's lamb to feed a guest that comes to his house. It's quite a story. And David is on the edge of his, edge of his throne now. And he, he's in, and he's all furious, and he says, that is despicable. Despicable. Who would do something like this? Any guy who, who does something this horrible should surely be put to death, David says. David says with conviction and with, with condemnation, which, let's be honest, um, is a you know, typical over-the-top seven. Like, you're, we're not going to put somebody to death for killing your dog or your lamb. Like, that, but that's sevens. David says, he, he should repay four lambs to the poor man for what he has done. Who is this man? I'll, I'll make him pay. And the next line is one of the greatest moments in all of scripture. David is furious and fired up, and Nathan says to David, no emotion, no, no, not overly dramatic, very emphatic. You are that man. You are that man, David. The Lord of Israel says that I saw you, David. I anointed you, saved you from Saul, gave you this house and these wives and all that you could ever want. And I would have given you so much more. Why have you despised my word, David? You are that man. This is one of the greatest showdowns in all of scripture. The king of Israel, this great king, and Nathan the challenger, the eight, who is not fearful at all to deliver a message of rebuke that needs to be said to a person in power. So who is the eight, the challenger? The challenger reflects God's power. Some of you might be raising little eights in your households, and every single day they defy you, and they challenge you, and they push you. Don't give up on them, though. Know that God has made them powerful for a reason. They're challengers. They challenge rules. They challenge your thinking. They challenge your education. They challenge everything, and they know how to push your buttons. This is how God has wired them. When healthy, here's the, here's the beauty of an eight. Eights are strong and confident people. 
In a world where folks are so wishy-washy and don't know what they want or what they want to do, eights know what they want to do, where they should go, what the next step should be. Challengers know what they want to do, and they know what they want you to do, too. <laughs> they are clear, they are strong, they are confident, they are not wishy-washy. And they're not moved by the ever-changing tides of culture or the ever-changing whelms of people. They don't really care about your whelms. Eights know who they are and what they're about. Eights, like nines and ones, aren't led by the heart or the head. They are led by instinct. They instinctually sense what is right and what is wrong and what is important and what is not important and what needs to be done next and what does not need to be done next. Healthy eights, healthy challengers want to see the world just be just. We need more justice in the world. We need people to stand up for people who don't have a voice, for people who aren't heard. You think about Winston Churchill. When Hitler had destroyed almost all of Europe, all of Europe is bowing down to the power and the weaponry of Nazi Germany, and England is defeated and they're broken down and you, they have no chance, they have no hope, and this healthy eight, Winston Churchill, says these powerful words that he, that he needed to say at that moment. They say what need, needs to be said. We'll fight them in the air, we'll fight them on the sea, we'll fight them on the land, we'll fight them in the streets, and we will never surrender. He galvanized a nation, and not only that, but he inspired the United States, who was wishy-washy across the, the ocean, to get involved and to stand up as well. That's the challenger. Now here's the thing you need to know about an eight, though. They, they communicate very directly. Oh, so, so directly. Nathan says, you are that man. He doesn't emotionally call them names like a two or three or four might or talk bad about them behind their backs and cry about it later. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't lose it out of heightened fear and anxiety like a five, a six, a seven might do. He states matter-of-factly, honest and to the point, you are that man. And Nathan cares what is just. You see, what is missed in this story is that Uriah is not Jewish. He's a Hittite. He's from another nation. He's from another land. He's a foreigner in Israel's land and who has, who has one wife to his name while Nathan can, I mean, David can have as many as he wants. Nathan calls out what is unjust. How dare you treat him this way? You are that man. Eights communicate directly. I'll, I'll never forget the first month um, of Alyssa coming onto staff with us at Kingstown, and we were sitting in a Panera. I knew her for maybe like 21 days, like I mean maybe not even that because she had not her habit, the habit of Alyssa had not yet grown on me. And so um, I sat down across the across the table from Alyssa, and she just said, she sat down and said, "I want you to know I'm mad at you." Come again? <laughs> Who says that? That's what's going on in my head. Who actually speaks what's on their mind? Like, this is the nightmare to a three. Nightmare to a three. Like, I can't remember for the life of me why she was mad at me either. I have no idea why she was mad at me. 
Um, but I will never forget how uncomfortable that direct statement made me feel. A three-winged four who has spent all of my life gritting my teeth behind a smile. The three-winged four who gains success and power through being kind to people and having them like me, not by being direct with people. Here's another beautiful thing about the challenger. They lead and influence others to get things done. Thank God for Alyssa. They do great things. I mean, they, they're strong, they have strong leadership. Um, they are the kinds of people who go into businesses and into colleges and, and just turn it around from the brink of bankruptcy because they're willing to say the hard things in the room, the things nobody's told them before, the things Steve Jobs would be an eight. Um, after returning to Apple, he walked in and he asked the people, what is wrong with Apple? Asked his engineers, what is wrong with Apple? And they're struggling, they're struggling. I mean, I know there's like all these various, and they're giving lots of little things. And he said, no, I'll tell you, the product sucks. You all suck. <laughs> You're not doing your jobs. Like he just says it. It's not good. It, it's not all these other things. Let's just name it for what it is. It's not good. That's an eight. But it, but it takes leaders like that to lead and to influence others to get things done. Eights don't beat around the bush. They say what needs to be said, and they get things done, and they make things better. When healthy, eights are also people who stand up for the vulnerable. Um, you want to know the way to an eight's heart? The vulnerable, the poor, the powerless. That's the way to an eight's heart. They see that, and it makes them, they, it makes them break inside. Eights are God's gift to us as protectors of those around us who do not have a voice. Because they have a voice, eights do, and they will surely voice it. They will absolutely voice it. The challenger has this deep down need to be strong, strong for themselves, strong for others. But healthy eights are always on pursuit of tenderness in that strength. If you have a kid who's an eight and you have a hard time getting them to just, just pet the dog, um, but instead they're pushing the dog and moving the dog to where they want the dog to be in the room. If, if you are always running around the house saying things like, hey, 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 be gentle, be nice, be gentle, be nice, hey, 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 be gentle, be nice, be gentle, be nice, you might have an eight. Eights are just strong individuals, and eights have to pursue at all cost, like they have to pursue tenderness and mercy if they're going to be healthy. They always have to ask themselves, what is What's the merciful thing to do right now? What's the tender thing to do right now? Because it's not in their innate um, reaction to the world around them. Challengers, when unhealthy, though, use power not to protect, not to protect the vulnerable, but they use it to dominate others. So you can quickly go from being Winston Churchill to Hitler as an eight. Eights, you are healthiest when you are using your power not for your own gain, but for others' gains. When unhealthy, eights refuse to be vulnerable. They refuse to share what's really going on in their lives. They bulldoze through life. And so if you're married to an eight, it's going to be challenging to know what they feel and what they think and what's really going on in them, besides the fact that lately they have been a complete and utter jerk, right? When unhealthy eights can put walls up that don't allow you to, to be real or be attuned to others, they, when unhealthy, they can be forceful and insensitive 
and combative for all the wrong reasons. Eights, because, because they, they care about power, they walk into a room and they immediately assess the room to figure out who the most powerful person is in the room. And when healthy, they acknowledge who that person is and try to figure out whether they can follow them. But when unhealthy, they've got to be the stronger one. They've got to be the more powerful one in the room. When unhealthy, they don't care how you feel. They care only about getting the job done. And an unhealthy eight, and the person for which we have all kinds of words, unfortunately, we, we don't know what to do with eights sometimes because we all have built our lives around being so nice. If you come from the South, you absolutely don't know what to do with an eight. Eights are just naturally combative. They are. But when unhealthy, they look forward to being combative. It's like they're looking out for the next time they can argue with someone, challenge someone. Here's the thing, eights. Nathan delivers that word to David, says, you are that man. The hard thing then for Nathan was after delivering that word, God said, and now you are to offer him mercy. Now you are to forgive him. Now you are to show my forgiveness to him. And so eights always have to be moving towards mercy. If you deliver a hard word, eight, that needed to be said, but there was no mercy behind it. It did not need to be said. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for sending those challengers into our lives who rebuke us, who, who say, you know, this is not right. God, we all have within us our internal rebukers, all the, all the things we wish we could say to the people that, that are, are doing wrong to us or doing wrong to others. Um, some of us are more willing to say those things out loud. But we truly, truly do, God, need, need your mercy. We want to be merciful people, gentle people, tender people. We want to be the kind of people who who you send out to say the tough thing because we know we will be the ones that will get through because they will trust us and they will know they are loved through the midst of their sin and their wrongdoing. God, make the church a place that is willing to challenge, willing willing to say the thing that needs to be said. But as we do that, God, make us tender and merciful people who acknowledge that not everyone sees things as we do, not everyone agrees with us, and that you love them too. And that is something we must always, always know and preserve, lean into. Oh,